A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you do not, you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, 
Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should I use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, today is, as I said earlier, the third Sunday um, in the time we call Lent. And Lent is a time when we're encouraged to um, reflect on our lives, to reflect on our own sort of spiritual health, on the world around us and the part that we play in it. And where necessary, to make some changes. And we all look at the world around us through our own particular set of ideas, beliefs, and experiences. And as a result, we then live out our lives according to those ideas, beliefs, and expectancies. So, for example, if our worldview is that there isn't a God, we just live once, and then that's it, kaput, nothing happens after that, then we might, not necessarily, but we might act in order to get as much as we can out of life at the expense of others. On the other hand, I've known some people who live as if they're immortal, as if they will never die. And when they finally have to face the fact that death is approaching, sometimes they have deep regrets about how they lived. But if we have some sense that how we live now really matters, that it will have important consequences both now and into the future, then we might live differently. An amazing coincidence happened in February of this year, which was a timely reminder that we can't rely on everything just continuing along as normal. Um, Anyone like to offer any suggestions as to what that coincidence was? Well done, Steve. (laughs) Right first time, the meteorite in, in Russia. And uh, that meteorite was apparently 10 feet in diameter, which tore through the Earth's atmosphere, causing extensive damage and injuring about 1,200 people when it struck the Russian Urals on February the 15th, which happened to be the third day of Lent, actually. But the extraordinary coincidence was that the very next day, on February the 16th, an asteroid weighing 1,000 times the weight of that meteorite passed so close to Earth that it came nearer to Earth than some of the satellites that we put up in order to be able to watch television. That asteroid had been tracked for more than a year by scientists who knew about it, but the meteorite which hit Russia was a complete surprise. Interestingly enough, scientists believe that it was a giant 
comet or asteroid that crashed into the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico a long, long time ago, causing tsunamis literally thousands of feet high, which wiped out the dinosaurs and would certainly wipe out human beings if that happened today. It's quite a wake-up call, isn't it? Most of us probably imagine that, well, we'll probably live into our perhaps 80s or 90s, that the world will just continue along as it always has, that our children will do the same, and so on and so forth. This is part of the typical worldview that most people have. But the readings we had from Scripture this morning remind us that the Christian worldview is a little different. The one which the Bible describes, and the one which Jesus described, is that our lives, our world, and our universe are heading for a decisive climax. And the message is that time is running out. And the Christian perspective is that, yes, we do only live once and then we die, but that how we live our lives and how we respond to the God who made the whole universe, including us, really matters, both in this life and beyond death for eternity into the future. Isaiah the prophet who wrote the first passage of scripture we heard read, which is on page 743 in your Bibles, if you want to turn to that in your Bibles. Isaiah the prophet says in verse 6, he says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's on page 743. Verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. There's clearly an implication that time is limited while he may be found, while he is near. In other words, there isn't an unlimited amount of time to do that. The call is urgent. The context of this passage is a call to God's people who had been forcibly taken from Israel and enslaved in Babylon, hundreds of miles away, and who had, as a result, started to forget about the God who loved them as they became more and more caught up in the Babylonian culture. God could save them again, and he could restore them to their homeland as he had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt a long time before, but the call is urgent. The people are complacent. In other words, they're smug about the situation and they're unaware of the danger that time is running out. And it's easy to be complacent in our culture today. Here are three examples of complacency, if you like. We might be regular churchgoers and believe that this in itself makes us okay. While in point of fact, we might still be far from God. But we don't realise it. We might be hard-working, well-meaning people who don't think God has anything to offer us. So we don't typically go to church, so we just do life without God. Or we might be Christian believers who never quite get around to putting our faith into action. We keep sort of putting that off. These are different forms of complacency, all of which require change in our lives. In other words, acknowledging our complacency and coming back to God. The whole theme of all three passages this morning is a message from God saying, come back to me. 
In our second reading, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the the Apostle Paul reminds the believers that being a nominal member of the church is not enough. That's on page 1151, chapter 10. And he recalls the time when God's people were led by Moses to freedom, passing through the waters of the Red Sea, being led and fed by God's miraculous provision. And yet, even though they were one of the tribe, one of the clan, they were in the in crowd, because they forgot God's goodness to them and turned their back on him, nearly all of them died in the desert and never saw the promised land. Time ran out for them. And Paul gives us that as an example. And he goes on to warn the believers against complacency. In verse 12, he says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And in just the same way, Jesus warns against complacency in our gospel reading from Luke's gospel. When some of the religious people listening to Jesus remind him that the Roman governor Pontius Pilate has killed a number of their people from Galilee, actually in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus says, in effect, that's not because they're any worse than you. In other words, you need to get right with God too. And he quotes another incident in Jerusalem when a building, the Tower of Siloam, collapses and kills 18 people. And he says, that's not because they were any more guilty than you. Everyone, in other words needs to get right with God, says Jesus, whether we think we know God or whether we don't. And Lent is a really good time to do that. But what does it look like, this getting right with God, for those of us who are complacent? Well, the first part, I think, is realising just how much God loves us and just how much our lives matter to God. I think God gets upset with complacency because he knows for what greatness he made us. And it pains him when we turn our backs on him like that. He's he's like a parent, a loving parent, who sees their child going the wrong way, drifting in the wrong direction, of course. Because like a parent, he loves us and he wants the best for us. And if we go back and look at our first reading in Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says in the first verse of that chapter, he says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. God is saying that for those of us who are seeking more out of life, he has all the answers. He has all the provision. He has what we need. He says, if you really want life to the full, come to me. Verse 3 says, give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And you know, for the first 40 years of my life, I had no idea that God loved me. I didn't have a clue. So I put my trust in me and not in God. The trouble was that didn't work. It didn't satisfy But when I came to realise just how much God loved me, everything started to change and to make sense. 
In verse 7, the prophet Isaiah says, Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. I, I had to do a lot of forsaking of my ways and my thoughts when I discovered this God who loved me. But I discovered that he has mercy, that he freely pardons all those who turn to him. And that is an amazing offer, isn't it? But the scriptures remind us that time is running out. That's why our year of the invitation is important. Because time is ticking by for the whole world. And it matters that others hear this good news of God and what he's done for us through his son Jesus Christ. It was an old friend of mine, Chris, who invited me on a particular day in March 2000 to go along to a church which changed my life forever. Who are we going to invite this year to come along and hear the good news? And I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who has not yet accepted that offer that God makes to each one of us through Jesus, his son, what we call the good news. But it's a bit like this. We know, we know that we've messed up lots of times in our own lives. We know the things we've done wrong. Some of the terrible thoughts we've had, some that the hatred we've harboured or the anger we've suppressed or the people we've hurt or the selfish ways in which we've lived. And we all know that all, we have an instinct, we know that all of this is totally unacceptable to a God who is good and loving and holy. We know we can't come to him like that. But the good news is that God knows that too. In fact, he knew how we would be from the beginning and so in his love, he gave us a way out. He sent Jesus, his son, into the world to save us from our predicament. Jesus after living a perfect life, laid down his life, carrying our wrongdoing, our sins, himself as he died on the cross and thereby set us free to know and love God forever, both in this life and for all time. It's awesome, it's incredible, but it's true. And how do we know that it's true? We know that it's true because after three days, after Jesus died, he came back to life, raised by the power of God, the effect of which on his immediate followers and friends was so powerful that it started a movement which changed the world and made Jesus the centre point of history. And for those who have not yet accepted God's offer of the saving love of his son, the third Sunday of Lent is as good a time as any to take that step. And if you'd like to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute or two that you can pray along with me that can help you to do that. For those of us, though, who are complacent in our faith, Lent is as good a time as any to reflect on how far we've drifted away from God, tempted by all of the things in the world around us, and to accept his invitation to come back to him. We cannot rely on our church going or our hymn singing or our communion taking to get by if our lives do not reflect our words. We simply must turn back to God, forsake, as the prophet Isaiah calls it, our wicked ways while we still can, while, while he may be found.
And then our church going and our hymn singing and our communion sharing will reflect his glory in our lives. Let's pray. If you would like to accept that invitation that God makes to come back to him, to say yes to his love and forgiveness, you can pray this prayer along with me silently in your hearts. Dear Lord, thank you for your invitation to come back to you. I'm sorry for my complacency in thinking that my way is better than your way. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to rescue me from my predicament so that I could be forgiven and set free to live the life I was always meant to. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me the power to live as Jesus lived. And we pray this in his name. Amen.